0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, July 14th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway stars James Marino. James, it is July 14th. That means it is Bastille Day, so happy, I don't know, is it Independence Day for all of our French friends? Um, I just want to remind everybody, if anybody starts saying... That they love, uh, they know about the French Revolution because of Les Mis. Tell them they're wrong, <laughs> they're dumb people. So Les Mis happens like more than a decade after the French Revolution. Instead, they should be singing like uh, "Into the Fire" or "Falcon in the Dive" from the Scarlet Pimpernel, which is a show that I love. And don't come at me, people that hate Frank Wildhorn. I will, I will not stand for any heresy against against the scarlet pimpernel version 1.0 or 2.0 i love scarlet pimpernel so uh maybe maybe listen to some of that some douglas sills i've often talked about my love for douglas sills and Terence Mann. Terence Mann can kind of split the difference between les mis and and scarlet pimpernel so happy Bastille day everybody did you like 3.0 is, is there a 3.0? I don't even know at this point. I saw the original Broadway cast. Actually, I didn't oh, see Terry. Uh-huh. He was, I yeah. saw an understudy. So I don't know at what point. It would have been the summer of 1998. So I don't know what version they were on. I think that was probably still 1.0. Hmm. I
1: I think uh, Scarlet Pimpernel, they should do... Uh, I wonder if they, they probably have done concerts at 54 Below of Scarlet Pimpernel.
0: At this point, probably.
1: Hmm. I have to... There should be a 54 Below lookup machine.
0: <laughs> or, or a submission line where you can just send an email directly to Jen Tepper with a suggestion for a concert, and then, like, within three weeks, she's got it planned.
1: <laughs> All right. First up in the news, uh, Riedel teases a passing strange revival.
0: Yeah, it does seem a little strange. We're at the point now where shows that nine, ten years ago could potentially get revived. We've already had a revival of Spring Awakening, and now Michael Riedel is reporting that there just might be a Broadway revival of Passing Strange next spring. Apparently, Philadelphia's Wilma Theater is producing the show from January 10th through February 18th of this year, and Broadway producer John Hart is keeping an eye on the production with hopes that if everything goes well, that he could bring it to Broadway next spring. Now, he has added that it's very early on in the process, but he loved the show so much that if things go well with this production in Philadelphia, it could make a transfer fairly quickly. This Wilma Theater production uh, will not star Stu, um, but he, along with his co-writer Heidi Rodewald, will be overseeing the production to make sure it stays true to their original version um uh, in the article Riedel goes into kind of talking about how passing strange fates uh, were really sealed by the fact that it lost the best musical prize to Lynn manuel's miranda in the heights and and that if potentially it would have won they think it could have run for a long time but in fact it didn't enclosed less than four or five months into its run james i I know that theater has changed quite a bit. So the Broadway theater has changed quite a bit since Passing Strange was originally off-Broadway. We now see shows like Once and, and Gentleman's Guide and Dear Evan Hansen and Fun Home, these smaller, more intellectual, um, off-the-beaten-track shows winning Best Musical at the Tony Awards. But it was like nine years ago. Are we? I mean, is it – uh, do you think Passing – a revival of Passing Strange, especially when – a filmed version is readily available to people on PBS and on streaming services, I think. Is it time for that already?
1: No. Uh Stu is a very <laughs> a very talented person who is not a very nice person and he should take his ass somewhere other than Broadway.
0: Oh, oh okay. Oh, I wasn't good. okay.
1: It's a total asshole.
0: Okay. All right. In the show and casting <laughs> news. Wow, I wasn't expecting that one to go that way, James. Okay, yesterday, Lincoln Center Theater announced uh, the complete cast for its upcoming Broadway premiere of the play Junk by Ayad Akhtar. Joining Stephen Pasquale will be the likes of of Danny Mastro DiGiorgio, Nate Miller, Ethan Phillips, uh, Miriam Silverman, Joey Slotnick, Henry Stram, and more. Um, The show begins previews on October 5th at the Vivian Beaumont Theater with an opening night set for November 2nd. Also in New In the news, more stars are heading to the Hollywood Bowl to sing ABBA or ABBA, I, either one. I, I, I'm never <laughs> sure which one it is. Um, joining the company are Tisha Campbell Martin, um, who was great on the 90s sitcom Martin. I love that show. Um, she'll be playing Tanya. Uh, Hamish Linklater will be playing Harry and Steven Weber I love me some Steven Weber. Uh, We'll be playing Bill. They're joining Corbin, Blue Dove, Cameron, Jaime Camille, Leah Deliria, and Jennifer Nettles. That production of Mama Mia! at the Hollywood Bowl will take place on Friday, July 28th, Saturday the 29th, and Sunday the 30th. In related news, um, on the Instagram, I saw Jesse Tyler Ferguson streaming some Instagram story stuff from rehearsals for Sondheim on Sondheim. He had a little bit of – it was Jonathan Groff and Ruthie Ann Miles and – somebody else I can't remember um, rehearsing some songs so um, apparently they are in in the rehearsal room for that one already which so I'm sure there'll be a lot of good stuff coming out about that. Then yesterday MCC also announced the cast and creative team for their upcoming transgender themed play Charm Um, no relation to the TV show about witches called Charmed. Um, Apparently in the cast it'll be led by actress Sandra Caldwell in her first major New York role. She'll be joined by Michael David Baldwin, Jojo Brown, Marky Irene Divan, Michael Lawrence, Haley Sehar, Emmy nominee Kelly Simpkins. Marquis Wilson and Lauren F. Walker. This is a show, James, that I haven't heard about, but the description of the show is really fun. When Mama Darlena Andrews, a 67-year-old black transgender woman, takes it upon herself to teach an etiquette class at Chicago's LGBTQ Community Center, the idealistic teachings of Emily Post clash with the very real-life challenges of identity, poverty, and prejudice faced by her students. That sounds like a show that has a lot of um, emotional, cultural umph, while also having having the potential to be incredibly funny. So I'm looking forward to that one. That will be uh, coming up next month. It'll begin previews on October 31st with an opening night set for September 18th. Keeping this train going, we also learned from the Daily Mail last night that Toby Stevens and Lydia Leonard will be playing the married couple at the center of Oslo when the Tony-winning play makes its West End debut on September 30th. It is currently scheduled to run through December 30th. Um, Also last night, we learned about the Young Vicks season, which is really exciting. They've already announced a couple plays. Billy Piper starring in a new version of Yerma, Sienna Miller playing Maggie in uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and some other things. But the show's added – are a world premiere production of, a, of, a, of The Jungle, a revival of The Brothers' Size by Terrell Alvin McCraney, who won an Academy Award for Moonlight, um, a new play called Inheritance by uh, Matthew uh, Lopez being directed by Stephen Daldry, and then the one that kind of interests me the most is the UK premiere of Fun Home. So I'm interested to see, James, how that one does on the other side uh, of the Atlantic. And then wrapping up this show in casting news, because we can't get away from ABBA, yesterday Lily James was announced to be joining the cast of the upcoming Mamma Mia sequel, Mamma Mia, colon, here we go again, exclamation point. Uh, Lily will be playing young Donna, the younger version of Streep's character, Meryl Streep's character. So James like we thought it is going to be a little bit of a... Uh, flashback and then move forward. If you're unfamiliar with Oli James, she was in um, Downton Abbey. Uh, she was Cinderella in the new Cinderella movie from Disney. She's currently being seen in, uh, in Baby Driver, which is a show that Jen and I talk about on something I like a pop on our next episode that's coming out this weekend. So a lot of stuff in there, James. So if there's anything in there that piques your interest, if not, if you want to call somebody an asshole, we can do that too.
1: Well, I see that you've broken rule number 43. Okay, which is that one? Oh, you don't remember rule number forty-three? Is talking about "Mamma Mia" twice in one sequ- in one segment?
0: <laughs> is that like a is it, that's a that's a Gibbs rule? Is that what that is? Yes, it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's move forward into the review roundup. Uh, reviews are in for Oscar Isaac as
0: Hamlet. Yeah, we're not, again, there's a lot of stuff today, unusually, so yeah. that's where we're kind of just running through things quickly. So we're just going to hit the big ones here. Uh, but the reviews for Hamlet over the public theater are really good. Sam Gold has a way of, despite what Michael Riedel's column says, of really kind of stripping back these productions and doing something really interesting. Um, obviously, this is a star-studded production. So let's just see what our good friend Ben Brantley had to say. Who's afraid of Hamlet? Certainly not the director, Sam Gold, who's gloriously involving new production at the Public Theater treats Shakespeare's daunting tragedy with an easy, jokey familiarity that's usually reserved for siblings and longtime drinking buddies. As in such relationships, Mr. Gold and his top flight cast, led by the majestically impudent Oscar, I almost said impudent, that would be completely different. Oscar Isaac in a title role tease and tweak the object of their affections, which happens to be the best known play in English literature and one of the naughtiest. Naughtiest, not naughtiest. Man, this is a. Brantley's tricking me up here with these words. But that's because the creative team here obviously knows and loves its Hamlet so very well. Adam Feldman of Time Out in New York agreed, staged in modern dress with a cast of nine in a minimal set, its biggest indulgence is a bathroom where Ophelia goes to sulk. Gold's Hamlet forsakes grandeur in favor of small moments of clarity. Its focus is on theatricality, comedy, and language. It keeps long speeches about the Trojan War, for example, but cuts the invading army of Fortinbras. There is singing, an onstage cell- cellist, and some choice overwrought death scene clowning from Kegel, Mike, and Ke- Mike Keegan Michael Key, so James. Overall, I think this is this is one that is probably a really tough ticket to get, but apparently it lives up to the hype.
1: Uh, it's interesting because my collection of uh, theater friends on Facebook are having an all-out war about uh, <laughs> about this. That some absolutely love it, like the Adam Feldmans, and others just really hate it. <laughs> so I'm it's- really.
0: What were what you going to say? I said, it was, that seems to be like a growing trend. And I think that we were joke about the Michael Riedel column from earlier this week. But that seems to be like kind of the growing consensus is that some people love what Sam Gold is doing with stripping down some of these classic shows. And some people seem to hate it. You loved what he did uh, with Glass Menagerie earlier this year, while yep. a lot of people were very, very angry about it.
1: The, the difference here is that. Sometimes, you know, I've noticed in the past that we've seen um, – <clears throat> we've seen things like people that see theater a whole lot will hate something and people that don't see theater a lot will love something. It's It seems to have changed where people who have the same level of exposure to theater have such varied uh, opinions on it and it's not just a single outlier. It's like a 50-50 split. It, it's interesting. So mm. – Let's move on to the next one. The critics weigh in on Off Center's atta- assassins. So what do people think about that?
0: Yeah. Speaking of a show that is often uh, polarizing, um, this is one where it it is a little more – a split, but generally because of the fact it's an off-center concert. It's it, it, A lot of people kind of mentioned the fact that it didn't seem fully um, finished, including uh, Jesse Green for the New York Times, who led off saying that it wasn't exactly as tight as you would want it, uh, but it said it could very well get there by the time it closed a Saturday night. From there, he went on and said, quote, Already it is vocally exceptional, with especially thrilling contributions from Stephen Pasquale as Booth, Schuller Hensley as, as Jolgosh, and Clifton Duncan as the Balladeer. By then, too, its mix of Broadway performers and downtown artists, including the alt cabaret or tour Ethan Lipton, may have settled into the world of the show instead of remaining in separate camps. For now, this Assassin's lacks the emotional heft and cannot attain the visual panache that a great production requires. Without them, its parade of losers is too often marching in place. He does go on to talk about how great people like um, Victoria Clark and, and Aaron Markey are, as, as Sarah Jane Moore and Lynette From Froman. He he really kind of says all the performances are great. It just doesn't congeal, which I think is probably part of the Off Center and, and even uh, Encore's concert series where that can happen sometimes despite how good everybody is. Elizabeth Vincitelli of Newsday said, quote, Sondheim and book writer John Weidman structured the show as a series of vignettes but the usually gifted director Anne Kaufman falls short in pulling them together, similar to what Jesse said, and the show never quite gels into an organic whole. yet the production is still a treat Sondheim's score cannily echoes the various periods represented with nods to John Philip Sousa, Burt Bacharach, and Irving Berlin, for instance and for a show about homicidal people Assassins is bitingly humorous Which won't surprise fans of Sweeney Todd. A lot of the reviewers, James, mentioned the fact that audiences automatically drew conclusions and found humor in things uh, that seemed not to be necessarily in the script, but were making connections to things in their real life. Like the line Jesse green notes, which I thought was funny was uh, every now and then the country goes a little wrong, which apparently got a 22nd round of applause, um, which I think we know where that comes from. So this is one, James, you know, my love for this show. We're going to talk about assassins a little bit more at the end here in a recommendation, but I love Assassins. I think it's brilliant. I think it is has been robbed by circumstance and timing over um, over time from having a wider release. So I was super excited in 2004 when it got that great RTC revival. But uh, I love this show, so I encourage anybody to see it because the, the people are great, even if the production never figures out a way to get them all on the same page.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's an off-center production. It's got a short run. Lots of people are are trying to get in to see it. Uh, not everybody can fit on a on the Saturdays and Sundays. Um, yeah. Because many people are out of town, so I wonder if maybe we'll see it again. We'll have to see if it's. We'll have to see if it's. Got enough momentum to take it into another life. All right. um, Next up, Broadway is well represented in the
0: Emmy nominations. Yeah, it seems like any time the Emmy nominations or Academy Award nominations come out, James, we talk about, oh, my gosh, look at all these great theater people that got nominated. That continued to be the case here this year with the Emmy nominations uh, that were released. I am not going to even try to tell you what categories all of these people are in because it would take forever. Needless to say, there are a ton. We will have a link in the show notes that tells you what categories everybody's in, all that stuff. But the Emmys will be broadcast on September 17th on, C- on CBS. Stephen Colbert, a decent amount of theater connections we'll be hosting so here are the theater related people and things that received nominations this year the tony awards hairspray live lin-manuel miranda jackie hoffman holy crap jackie hoffman's an emmy nominee her twitter account made you very aware of that ron cephas jones bd wong hank azaria carrie coon dennis o'hare carrie fisher becky ann baker angela bassett cicely tyson laverne cox william h macy jeffrey tambor kevin spacey jeffrey rush john Taturro benedict Cumberbatch, Robert De Niro, Lily Tomlin, Allison Janney, Elizabeth Moss, Viola Davis, Nicole Kidman, Jessica Lange, Alec Baldwin, Titus Burgess. Titus Burgess an Emmy nominee again. John Lithgow, Mandy Patinkin, Michael Kelly, Jeffrey Wright, Alfred Molina, Bill Camp, Judith Light, Anna Klumsky, Uzo Aduba, Tom Hanks, and I'm sure I'm missing some, but nonetheless, tons of theater people to root for when, uh, uh, when the Emmys come around uh, in September.
1: All right. So... uh it's it's quite the list. And I, I don't know. Um, I w- is there any way to look back? It seems like there's a lot more Broadway people getting Emmy nominations, but maybe it's just that we're, we're just
0: paying more attention to it. Um, it, it could be that, but you know, I've talked about this on a couple things, uh, in, in recent years. Um, and I've talked about it with some, some actors and then on some like a pop as well, you're seeing a lot more things, James being filmed on the East coast just because, um, of tax incentives, whether that's in New York, in North Carolina, in Atlanta. Um, so you're seeing a lot more productions move East rather than being based in Los Angeles. So the opportunities for theater primary actors to be cast in these makes it a lot easier it's a lot cheaper to have people on the East Coast do these productions when they're on the East Coast so a lot of these prestige things are being shot in New York or being shot in Atlanta so it's much easier for people who are based in New York City to get these opportunities and we know that theater performers are unbelievably talented so by the time that they get the opportunities to show that on screen they're going to be recognized for it so I, I think it's awesome i mean i i I love some of these things and uh um seeing people who are specifically known as theater people like jackie hoffman um or or you know i'm not gonna go through that whole list again but it's just cool it's very neat
1: i guess that's uh accurate because i remember uh when lots of new york themed shows were shot in los angeles and that doesn't seem to happen as much (laughs) like nypd blue was shot in los angeles yeah and they'd or have friends. A, they, yeah, friends. They'd have a second unit come and do the New York exteriors. I mean, I, I don't even think that friends ever had a second unit in New York do New York exteriors. It always was a terrible yeah. set. <laughs> yeah. A terrible set in, in, in on the West Coast. All right. Here is our good news for the day. Not that <laughs> the other stuff hasn't been good news, but this is right. really good news.
0: This Vulture... is super. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. We Go ahead. should
1: tell them. Vulture named yes, an, tell a new theater critic.
0: This is really interesting to me, James, Um, and you probably know how to frame this a little bit more than I do. Uh, But yesterday, New York Magazine Editor-in-Chief Adam Moss announced that Sarah Holdren is joining New York, the magazine, as its entertainment site Vulture, as their theater critic. Here's where it gets interesting. First off, the fact that they hired a woman to be the theater critic is fantastic. Um, But here's what gets interesting. Holdren is an accomplished director and theater maker and according to the release who will bring her original perspective to the role she will write reviews as well as more essayistic pieces and begins the role on July 31st James tell me uh, you would know better than a lot of the backgrounds of these people who are New York theater critics do they not come from a, a journalistic writing background? Or do 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 some of them, all of them, any of them come from a more theater maker background? That's kinda of surprised me.
1: I can't think of many, although any critics that have made a jump yeah. to a major a major publication like New York, New York, New York magazine. New York, New York magazine. I always get the confused in my head. <laughs> um you know certainly there are a lot of uh, theater critics out there who have their feet on both sides of the lights like a peter sure. Felicia. you know peter Felicia yeah. is a is a playwright terry, uh, terry teachout yeah. and yep. various others like that now for somebody to make a major jump to you know a new york times level publication uh, <laughs> i can't think i've ever
0: seen yeah. that before yeah and i think someone like terry teachout he was a theater critic for years decades before um, he really yeah. you know had a ton of success as a playwright, so it's interesting to see it backwards I just uh, that's interesting i i I have no problem with it. I think it's actually a great thing uh, because obviously if you're a successful successful director and theater maker, obviously you're fairly intelligent and can probably figure out a way to communicate um, ideas and concepts fairly well. so I think one, I applaud New York Magazine and Vulture for thinking outside the box in terms of not casting a white guy. Kudos to you, uh, and then I think even more applause to them for thinking outside the box and trying to find somebody who has a different perspective from all of the theater critics who kind of come at from, come at it from a more journalistic perspective. I think seeing it more from the inside of a theater maker will really give the opportunity for Holdren's um, reviews to have something different that's not you know just kind of her opinion set in the same format that we see from everybody else.
1: Yeah. So uh, we just mentioned Terry Teachout. So uh, in our recommendation section, we talk
0: about Terry Teachout explores an all-female season. Yeah, this is a, a great article, and I hate the fact that it's, it's paywalled over at the, uh, at the Wall Street Journal. But what Terry Teachout did was is he tried to construct a, a season of plays, just plays, not musicals, written by women. And what he also did was eliminated some of the tried and true, easy default ones that a lot of theater companies do. Raisin and the Sun, as great as it is, just because they get produced. He tried to think outside the box, got rid of Raisin and the Sun, got rid of Little Foxes, um, did not include like Sarah Rules shows. And he went through and tried to construct a season of plays written specifically by women. If you are a subscriber to The Wall Street Journal or know some backdoor way to get it, um, take a look at that one. And then another one, James, I mentioned uh, in the... uh, uh, earlier in the episode and I guess speaking of Vulture as well in Vulture, Anika Chapin wrote an article um, with a headline, Pay Attention to and Do Not Misunderstand Sondheim and Weidman's Assassins she goes into kind of comparing uh, this production of Assassins that we just talked about at at Encore's Off Center to the Trump-like Shakespeare in the Park production of Julius Caesar and kind of talking about What is actually trying to be said in both, but especially from the assassin's point of view, that while on first glance assassins could be looking, could look like it was celebrating killing a president, it's actually doing the exact opposite and saying that. All these people are, are foolish, and their efforts to, to try to make a name for themselves quickly fade, and it doesn't actually change the trajectory of the country. Um, in fact, it could actually help to do the opposite of what you actually intended. So uh, it's a great piece, and I love it. And again, like I said earlier, I love assassins, so uh, I, I really appreciate this perspective from Anika.
1: So um, what has – worked for me in the past for getting by the wall street journal paywall is if you google the title of the article you sometimes can from the google results click on that and it will bypass the paywall for that one article at the wall street journal it doesn't always work but has worked for me in the past so check that out if you want to uh read that article from terry teach out in the journal
0: all right listen to you Listen to you calling people assholes and then trying to get around paywalls. You are a rebel today, James. Rebel, rebel. I, I guess it's I guess it's Bastille Day uh, inspiring you. Yeah, you know I did see Lemiz oh, Stop it.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so why don't you get us out of here? Alright, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at BroadwayRadio, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt. You can subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. James, tomorrow in this feed will be the next episode of my interview show, Tell Me More, where I will be talking with the current Sweeney Todd off-Broadway star, Matt Doyle. Not only about Sweeney Todd, just a little bit, but also about his online digital comic book with his BFF Beth Bears called Dents. It's really good, and it's, I, really, I really enjoyed talking to him about this. That'll be in this feed tomorrow
1: all right my name is james marino from broadwayradio.com and broadwaystars.com thanks for wrapping up the week with us and matt and i'll be back on monday but this sunday Peter felicia and michael portantier will be on this week on broadway so tune in then and we'll talk to you on monday